0: It's time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcon's Flyover
1: with John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
0: Back in the Kia studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. John Chuckery show live on this Monday evening with you. 404-726-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. At JMCH 316 at the D Lewis4 Real on our personal Twitter pages. This is the uh Falcons flyover, all your daily news and notes about the Atlanta Falcons. Um this uh this was a fun little story that I read from um Pro Football Focus. They have the highest graded undrafted players at every position in the pro football focus era. Okay, so pro football focus has been around since 2006. And and I bring this up because there are a few Falcons on this list. So let's start with right tackle, uh, right offensive tackle. Tyson Clabo is the highest graded guy at 85.3. And honorable mention is Ryan Schrader at 79.6. Quote, Run blocking was Claybo's calling card after he went undrafted out of Wake Forest in 2004. He bounced around a few practice squads <clears throat> before latching on with the Falcons. And he went on to garner a negative grade on only 7.5% of his career run snaps. A top 15 mark among all tackles in the pro football focus era. Claybo's 88.5 run blocking grade ranked second among undrafted tackles since 2006 behind Jason Peters. And again, Claybo was one of those nasty guys, right? Harry Dalman, Claybo, like they had that nasty offensive line with Mike in his early years, and they were really good. They weren't household names or anything like that, but they were really good. Ryan Schrader, of course, was the guy – in the Super Bowl, right? He was the right tackle for the Falcons in the Super Bowl, undrafted out of Valdosta State. And again, that was a mishmash offensive line. He had Chris Chester. He had uh, Andy Levitre, who they traded for. Obviously, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Alex Mack was the big free agent acquisition. And, of course, Jake was at left tackle that they drafted. But... Ryan Schrader and Tyson Claybo, two former Atlanta Falcon guys, um, on the defensive side of the football at cornerback with a 91 grade as an undrafted guy, Brett Grimes. Now, do you remember Brett Grimes' wife at all, Day Day? Do you remember all of her craziness? Whew, man. She used to get on Twitter, she had a lot of followers on Twitter. Because she used to talk all kinds of craziness, all kinds of crazy stuff. So they say here, Grimes is among the most accomplished and longest-tenured undrafted corners in the pro football focus area. Only Chris Harris Jr. and Traymond Williams played more snaps than Grimes. And remember, he left after they gave him, what was it? I think they gave him the franchise tag for like $10 and then he got hurt for the Falcons. And then he moved on to was it Miami, right? Miami. Yeah, it was Miami, and that's when his wife just went. I forget what what. She got arrested. I do remember that. What What is her name? What's her? Oh, what was Mi- her first name uh, Miko or something like that? Mi- Mika. Miko. Miko. Yeah. yeah. Who man? Yeah. I she remember she some, got arrested at a game or something. It she was had, something. She had some crazy in her. She had some crazy in her. She would say all kinds of stuff on Twitter, and this was this was years ago when Twitter was. You know, just kind of... Yeah, it was in its... Infancy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't brand new, but it was in its infancy when uh, when she would get on there. Uh, while Grimes allowed his fair share of touchdowns and yards, as every cornerback does, he recorded four seasons of allowing a sub-70 passer rating in his coverage. Only four corners in the NFL managed to top his interception rate from 13 to 17, including Richard Sherman and Marcus Peters. So that's two pretty good guys to, you know, be in the uh, the mix for. So a few Falcons that, uh, that actually made this list that again, undrafted players at their positions that actually had some success. All right. Uh, both coaches uh, had a chance to, oh my gosh, had a chance to comment. Uh, Got to get through all these pop-up ads, you know, on here, but um, um or or sorry, um, Mike McDaniel of the uh, Miami Dolphins talking about the Falcons. Quote, typically you're working with another coaching staff, so you have to be mindful of their progression, how they approach things, and how many reps they do, and you just have a working relationship. Coach Smith is a great guy who kind of tailors his practices similar to ours. So besides the back hand-slapping competition – no, there's nothing different. On the importance of these practices, quote: both sides of the ball will have their wins. Invariably, the Dolphins defense versus Atlanta's offense, and the Dolphins offense versus Atlanta's defense. One side's going to feel real, uh, going to feel the first day that they won the day, and generally the second day things even out because you watch the tape and you're like, oh no, not again. It's just one of those things. So I think all of the lessons I'll try to pass along but the main part is that we're there to work together to orchestrate a high octane football practice and it's a great chance for a lot of guys to compete against people that they have different skill sets sizes statures as well as some young guys you get to play in front of another organization so we have 90 uh, so we have 90 we have 55 plus 16. There's the math there. And you don't know who it's going to be. You don't know what. But those opportunities are premier, really, for a guy's career. I know in my career, I'll share with them that there's been several times that we ended up signing players that were we've gone against in joint practices. Those types of things are invaluable. So, again, we've talked about this, you know, the idea of this practice and stuff because it is important, right? I mean, that this is probably – more interesting than what's actually going to take place in the game at the end of the day. Like this is probably going to be more intense, more competitive than uh than the actual practices themselves or I should say than the actual game itself. Because again, I don't know how much I don't know how much you're going to actually see of starters or anything like that in the game barely at all or anything that we're going to see, but it's an opportunity in the practice part of it for uh, some guys to do you know, some, some different things or line up against some different people. Um, Arthur Smith talking about practicing with the Dolphins. Sometimes different schemes. Looking forward to seeing Miami is one of the faster teams. It'll be good for us to see some of those matchups, among other things, just a different environment. They get a little bit more competitive. We've seen our guys now for about 10 days. We get down there, and it's just another evaluation tool. They've become a little bit more common, too. Everybody's got different philosophies uh, on it. So, again, you know, like I said, the practices will probably be more interesting than uh, what's actually going to happen in the games. All right, uh, Calais Campbell uh, passed his physical and was taken off the non-football injury list uh, today. So, again, it looks like everything will be a go for the start of the season. I don't really care about what he's going to do in the preseason. Obviously, I wouldn't even play him in the preseason if it were me. But obviously, uh, and by the way, the Braves are back 6-4 to four in, this, in this game. Isn't that crazy? Um, but obviously that we look for Calais Campbell week one, I'm not really concerned about what's going to happen over preseason. I, I, if I never saw Calais Campbell... Take one preseason snap uh, in a game, it would be, it would be too much for me. I don't want to see him at all. I don't really care about Calais Campbell trying to prove anything or this, that, and the other. Again, we know what what he can do, so there's no really, there's no real issue, you know, as far as that goes. But um, it is good just to have him back, um, have him back in the mix um, with everything, and obviously just back to uh, being with the team and this, that, uh, any other. We also heard on Saturday from Arthur Smith talking about how the team had, quote unquote, received very positive news after an MRI of cornerback Jeff Okuda's right ankle. Smith said uh, he expects Okuda back at practice, or sorry, back uh, at some point early in the regular season. So, on a one on one drill uh, on Friday, he injured his ankle, was carted uh, off the field uh, in a one on one drill against Frank Darby. And, um, you know, again, it was a situation where we didn't have any understanding or idea about how bad things were. But he said, quote, you just never know, talking about Arthur Smith. Positive news, all things considered. We expect he's got a great chance to be back in the really early part of the season. I just can't give you whether that's week one, two, three. But we feel really good for Jeff, all things considered. So hopefully he doesn't have to go – Uh, the best case scenario would be the idea of him not having to go on the short-term IR, right, which would require four games to be missed. So hopefully it can be just a situation where you have to live without a corner for a week or two, and then he comes back. But it will be interesting to see that as we go through the preseason and we start to head toward week one of the regular season, if he's going on short-term IR or not. Because that'll tell you, okay, he's going to miss the first month of the season. And obviously, look, it's a situation where I feel bad for Akuda. Um, he's obviously battled injuries his entire career. This has been kind of the kind of, I guess, hallmark of his NFL career thus far is the fact that he has been injured so often, and it's obviously cost him. And you know, again, obviously, it's been, it, it's been the thing that derailed his career in Detroit. After being the number three overall draft pick, it's the thing that has derailed his career to this point. And you figure he's got a new lease on life with the Atlanta Falcons. Now we're seeing him go down, and now we're seeing him, you know, potentially be out the preseason, week one, week two, week three. So, you know, it's it's positive news, but you would love to see him be able to just practice and continue to work with this defensive group. Practice and work with... Ryan Nielsen, and more importantly, Jerry Gray. Because, again, we've heard from Okuda how how important Jerry Gray has been just even in this short amount of time that he's been a guy that's had an influence on him. And Jerry Gray has talked very glowingly about the fact that I want to see the guy that played at Ohio State, not the guy in Detroit. I want to see the guy that played at Ohio State in the old days when, uh, when he was a corner there and led into being the number three overall pick. All right, when uh, we get back, Bill Bender will join us, National College football writers. We'll take a look at the coaches poll and obviously all of the craziness surrounding the topsy-turvy world of conference realignment. Chuck Green, the Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, com app. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game, back at a Chuckery show. Hanging out here in the Kia Studios on this Monday evening. 404-726-0929, Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Well, to say it's been a crazy couple of weeks in the world of college football, that would probably be the understory uh, or understatement uh, of the century, really, uh, at this point. Let's uh, head out to the com hotline. Let's talk to our buddy. Bill Bender as he tries to make sense of all of this national uh, college football writer, sporting news, check him out on his Twitter page at bill Bender 92 bill as always buddy. Appreciate a few minutes on the show tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on. How are you? I am great. And listen, I, I describe this as the same thing that cities go through cities. Don't stay stagnant. They either get forward progress or they regress. And right now in the world of college football, I had a, I had one of my program directors that was saying about why would the ACC be looking at Stanford or Cal or this any other? Bill, I look at it as you're either trying to expand and grow, or you're going to get cut. The you're going to have your legs cut out from underneath you, and it feels like we're at that point now: either grow or get left behind.
1: Uh... I'll meet you halfway. I mean, I get it that that they can look at expansion, but I think some of these realignment moves are dumb. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, you know, between the Pac-12, I just, I can gauge my buddies up here in Big Ten country, and just the mood of Washington and Oregon, it doesn't do it for anybody up here. And I get it. It's on TV and money, but I, you know, the cost is, for those ratings and those TV contracts as college football school, as long as everybody's cool with that, because that's what's happening.
0: Well, I I have always said, and I've I've said this, I'm I'm in my 11th year now on the radio, and and I've said this since day one. I have always believed that super conferences were going to be the way of the future, that you were going to have four, maybe five super conferences that were going to have about 20 teams apiece, and that would be the group of teams that competed for the national title. They'll throw a bone for a playoff spot here or there, but it would be four or maybe five 20 team conferences that play for it. And that would be it. And it's coming to fruition. I mean, I've always thought it. And again, it's never about football. It's about the business of everything else around it.
1: For sure. And you're on to that. I mean, it it costs us. The super conference model is here it cost the PAC 12, a, a conference that had been around since 1915. And, and just to your point, the, the refusal to adapt and progress, the, the PAC 12 failed to progress. And that made it easier for the big 12 to come in and raid and made the big 10. I mean, I don't begrudge the big 10, despite my feelings about not getting too excited about Washington from a business sense. They grabbed the four best powers off the West coast. They stretch three of the four time times now. And, uh, you know, there, there's some other things that they're going to have to do, and maybe they expand more. So, you, it is going to come down. I don't even think it comes down to four conferences right now. I think it comes down to two. And the more the SEC and the Big Ten add, the more exclusive that two conference club becomes in distancing itself from the ACC and the Big Twelve. I mean, imagine the SEC if their counter move to the Big Ten is grabbing Clemson and Florida State somehow.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And and I I, I guess in in hindsight, Bill that the ACC in some ways was smart by, you know, we, we looked at that TV contract a few years ago and said, well, man, they, they're, you know, they're making it, they may not take as much money, but they're making it hard for teams to get out of that contract. Maybe in hindsight that that was a pretty savvy move that they're going to make it as difficult as possible that, Hey, if you want to leave the conference, it's going to cost you a whole bunch.
1: Yeah, and, and that's, as much as anything, that kind of stability. Um, same thing with the Big 12. I mean, they have stability through 2031. And I don't know how or if it's even possible for some of these schools to get out of the grant rights deal. The re- I think one possible solution is to take a good look at revenue redistribution. Um, Florida State and Clemson have a point. I mean, if I think what Florida State's looking at at the end of the day is, Thirty million or so in revenue, and how that there's a ten, maybe more million gap with their in-state rival Florida, who gets that from the SEC. So that's something to keep in mind, and maybe why there was a little bit of saber rattling from Florida State last week, or maybe there's some smoke to it, and they eventually take a real good look at the SEC.
0: Bill Benner from SportingNews.com joining me on the WaitFor.com hotline as uh, we talk some uh, college football here. Um, You know, the other part is, you know, I've seen people talking about, well, why is the Mountain West not grabbing these teams that are left or this and the other? And my point was, well, why isn't the Pac-12 grabbing what's left of everybody else? I mean, with all due respect, I don't know that the Mountain West is in a position to start trying to add more teams and build schedules and travel and everything else. Why would the Pac-12 not be the ones that are in the position to, hey, you know, again, it's not the same conference, but let's at least keep intact what is the Pac-12 model.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and I think, obviously, the Mountain West and Pac-12 could even maybe look, maybe their management and their upper management could look into ways to pull in each other's resources. Um, I don't know. Of those four remaining teams, I mean, Stanford, I have feelings about Stanford, <laughs> My Twitter feed didn't share them. I, I just mentioned, you know, over the last 15 years, they have better records than Michigan. You know, they they've had four guys be runner up for the Heisman Trophy. It's not like Andrew Luck and Christian McCaffrey and Toby Gerhardt and Bryce Love, or uh, yeah, Bryce Love um, weren't good players. But the the counter is, well, they didn't have a lot of guys in the stands or a lot of fans in the stands. Well, doesn't to mean what the football program accomplished just the same.
0: Yeah, and, and not only that, Bill, but when you look at it, say what you will about Stanford, it's not just football. They're they're a good basketball program. They're, you know, again, they, they are an all-sports program, and when you're looking at not just the TV revenue, but when you're looking at adding in some of these other programs, you also have to look at some of these other sports that they play, and Stanford is traditionally one of the better, you know, um, Uh, I guess what I want to say that they're one of the better college programs in all different types of sports.
1: Yeah. And their Olympic sports are fantastic. And um, it's got to be more than football in some cases now. And they fit the same description as a Northwestern, a Vanderbilt or a Duke. Why would you keep Stanford out of that club? So I think one of the dangers of where we're headed, and and I mentioned the power Two type dynamic with the SEC and big 10 is, if they end up with 20 to 24 schools each, you're still leaving around 70% of college football out of serious contention. And that's not good for the sport. I mean, some of my friends would argue that the NFL only cares about 30% of its franchises, but the Cowboys haven't won the Super Bowl since I was in high school when I'm 43. So, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's the NFL does a good job of selling hope to everyone. And, So I've seen Jacksonville play in an AFC championship. I haven't seen Vanderbilt in the SEC championship.
0: Is is the program that becomes the big winner in all of this Notre Dame because they are in a position where their brand stays valuable without being diluted in a conference of 20 teams?
1: I I agree. Again, I I can – this is why I like talking to you because I kind of meet you halfway. Mm -hmm. I think, um, yes, and they've affirmed their independence and not getting caught up in that. Now is NBC really going to give them 65 million on their next television contract? I mean, on some level, they're going to have to work with the big 10 because the big 10 is also in with NBC. I don't think it doesn't necessarily have to mean they play, in the big 10, but they'll have some sort of relationship with that conference. And what happens, let's say hypothetically, the big 10 takes Stanford. I mean, that would mean that Stanford and USC that Notre Dame's big rivals are in the big 10 with all those old school traditional rivals that Notre Dame used to play. So for me, it's always been, they should be in that conference, but I understand what they're doing and why I would stay the way that they're staying right now.
0: So Bill, um, if there's a program out there that, you know, at the group of five level or what have you, is there in particular that has become valuable that some big conference is going to take a look at? I mean, is there is there a school that is all of a sudden kind of getting a light shown on it that maybe in years past hasn't had the light shown on it? Well, I think
1: San Diego State and the in and out nature of how this has gone for them where they were out of the mountain West and back in. Now, you know what I mean? They, they just went to a final four. Their football program is pretty steady. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Maybe the big 12 could kick around San Diego state with this super basketball conference that they've built. That's one of the other hidden impacts of all this realignment to me, at least is the big 12 is running away as the nation's best basketball conference. And they just added Arizona. So on a Tuesday night in December in the very near future, we're going to be watching Kansas and Arizona play for, uh, in a Big 12 game, and that's going to be kind of cool.
0: So in all of this, and I can remember you and I specifically talked about this like years ago, that is there going to come a point where you think that the, you're going to have the, the power conferences play for their national championship or whatever you want to call those smaller conferences or smaller programs, that at some point they're going to have to play for their own championship?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that in the future. And, and again, we've, we've talked about this. Uh, you know, being a Mac guy that I am and, and Ohio University, I want to see them in FBS bowl games, and I want to see them play Big Ten schools. But there's also a realization that I'm, they're never really going to threaten for a national championship. Right. So. I wouldn't mind seeing it. I don't know how popular it would be, but when I say that, I mean, I just looked at the TV ratings from the Hall of Fame game. There's a, people like football, and people like football at any level, and I think if they caught that niche, that I would rather watch App State play OU at the FBS Division II semifinal than the Camellia Bowl.
0: Right, right. Um, let's switch over to the uh, coaches poll. More surprising that Michigan was two or that Georgia didn't get every first-place vote?
1: Um, probably about equal. I had anticipated Michigan would be two. Now, you could make a case for Ohio State or LSU or Alabama. And that, I, I More surprised Georgia didn't get all the votes because I'm typically of the opinion that if you're the two-time national champion and, and you're leading the sport that the way that they are, that they should be number one. Surprised Alabama got more votes than Ohio State, though, mm-hmm. because Ohio State's got all that frontline line first-round talent coming back. Alabama's got a big quarterback question. Uh,
0: I'll tell you the school that I'm all in on this year, Bill, is I'm all in on Florida State. And, and I think that they, I think they win the ACC. Um, I, I think the game will be fascinating if it's Clemson and, and Florida State in the ACC top. They're not going to divisions anymore, so take the top two schools. But – I I really think Florida State is a national semifinal contender. I I really think that they have a chance to get themselves in the playoffs. With all that talent coming back, and this is a a Mike Norvell dream kind of team, I think that Florida State is kind of that sleeper team that could find its way in the playoff.
1: Yeah, you know, and a lot of hype around them, and we're going to find out in September. I'm not saying at all you're wrong. I think they are being hyped up to the point that Clemson's still good. Right? And they still got to go to Clemson in September, and they may have a rematch with Clemson. So I do think both of those teams are going to battle it out at the top of the ACC, and that game in late September is going to be fun. And man, Florida State having to play LSU and Clemson right away. If they win both of those games, finish September undefeated, you could probably lightly pencil them into the playoffs, like you said.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, September 3rd and then the end of September, that's. That's a pretty good gauntlet. So, Bill uh, Bender, he is on Twitter, at BillBender92, National College Football Writer for SportingNews.com. Join me on the com hotline. Bill, as always, buddy, appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much, and we will certainly chat again soon.
1: Hey, No problem. Thanks so much. Take
0: care. You you got it. Uh, When we come back, it will be time for What's Bugging Chuckery. So, I guess the Orioles didn't really like the truth, huh? talk about that next trucking the key studios sports radio 92.9 the game the odyssey.com app It's Radio 929, the game back at a Chuck Show, hanging out in the Kia Studios. 404-726-0929. We didn't hear the announcement at the start of the show. We are going till 10 o'clock tonight. So our new time slot is 7 to 10 at night. So still so get all the um bells and whistles and everything else along with it. Just that Rankum has got to happen a little bit earlier. So Tuesdays and Fridays, we will do Rankum at nine forty. So you'll have to get your list in a little bit earlier. Um as you know, we uh will be getting off the air at ten o'clock here moving forward. So um as I'm watching uh both Braves baseball and uh, Raw, we will uh, we will talk SummerSlam at nine forty. Did you finish watching SummerSlam? Yeah, I finished yeah. it. So we'll yeah. uh we'll talk about that at nine forty. Uh give my review of SummerSlam. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'll say. Eh. Um, anyway, it uh, wasn't as good as I would have hoped it would be. But um, Braves right now, they're down 7-5. to five. Um, Strider did not pitch well. Two and two-thirds innings, five, um, five uh, hits, six earned runs, three walks and three strikeouts, 63 pitches. His ERA has ballooned up to 3.94. Tonkin came in. He's pitched a couple of innings and he gave up a run himself, but the Braves have battled their way back, and it's now seven to five. Ozzy has homered uh, in the game. Um, he's got, um, or sorry, Ozzy's got one RBI. Olson's got a couple of RBI in the game. Ozuna's got an RBI in the game uh, as well. So, and uh, we'll see if the Braves can come back in this thing, but gonna have to get the bullpen uh, to keep this thing shut down and going. And obviously the bats are going to have to get back on track and give a little bit of offensive help. So uh, Riley and Olsen have a couple of hits uh, in the game. Both of them have scored a run, and like I said, Olsen has got a couple of RBI, which, by the way, he's now at 99 RBI for the season. I believe he's leading the National League in uh, RBI. Ozzy hit his 26th homer. He's got 78 RBI (laughs) Don't look now. And even uh, Marcelo Zuna, he's up to 51 RBI. So, you know, again, we are, what, 109 games into this thing? So the guys can put up some – still got the chance to put up some pretty good stats when all is said and done. But got to get this pitching figured out. I mean, it's one good start, then a couple of bad starts, and then another good – it's not been enough consistency. That's where – That's where Max Freed, and by the way, it is pouring down rain now uh, in this game, pouring down rain. Um, That's where Max Freed has to stabilize this rotation because Strider's been really good, but he's had some goofy moments. Elder has been not good in his last 11 starts. And obviously, Morton has been a little bit hit or miss uh, as well um, in it, but if they can get free to come in there and just stabilize that rotation, again, this is not about the division. This has nothing to do with winning the NL East. That's been decided. That's as uh what, what was that the, what was the guy's name? Sal Lipskitz? What was his name? Sal, Sal Lips – anyway, um, what he had to say, it's over. It's over. Well, it's been over for the Braves. These teams are not coming back. Mutz are are 22 back now. 22 back. F the Mets. F the Mets. Step right up and F the Mets. Bring your kitties. Bring your wife. They're going to suck for the rest of your life. They suck. They are awful. Oh, yeah. How's that worked out with Verlander and Scherzer? Not being around. How's that worked out? They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, by the way. They've lost six in a row, just in case you're keeping score at home. Couldn't happen to a better franchise. You know what? Here we go. F the Mets. F the Mets. Step right up and F the Mets. Bring your kitties. Bring your wife. They're going to suck for the rest of your life. Couldn't happen to a better guy than Steve Cohen couldn't happen to a better organization than uh, them but uh, we'll see if the Braves can come back um in this uh game down two runs now we uh are in a rain delay by the way too so it is official it was pouring down rain here in the top of the uh, the top of the 6th inning so um uh i believe it's uh the Braves are going to be up but they will have to wait a little bit so i wonder if they're going to have to switch pitchers Year, depending on how long this thing lasts because it was a torrential downpour and they had to get themselves off the field. So at least they got the inning, at least they got the bottom of the fifth over with, and now we start clean here in the top of the sixth inning and um, we'll see if we can get this one in. Obviously, it luckily it started at 7.05 and it's only 8.47, so you would figure that they'll get this thing in as quickly as they can. But, um, you know, uh, Braves uh, could certainly use a win and, uh, you know, I'm – hopeful that the Braves find a way to take three out of four um, in this series after losing a couple of games to what has been – I mean, say what you will about the Cubs. I think they're the highest-scoring run team in the National League since the All-Star break. I think they've led the league in runs scored since the All-Star break in the National League. So they have done some good things, and the TARP is officially coming out. So we will be in the – what do they call it? The Home Depot rain delay uh, show. So anyway – all right. Speaking of uh, rain delays, let's get to something we call "What's Bugging Chuckery." Don't look now, but somebody out there just got Chuckery ticked off. <laughs> like that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for "What's Bugging Chuckery" on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. So, one of the stories that's been going around and it's making its way all over the baseball world is that the Orioles play-by-play guy, whose name is Kevin Brown, has been suspended. And the reason that he was suspended, frankly, is because he told the truth about what the Baltimore Orioles have done against the Tampa Bay Rays, and especially in Tropicana Field. And they have, in their last 16 series, finished 0-15-1, having lost 15 straight series before the season. Their last series win was in 2017, and basically what they did is it, it didn't paint a great picture about the Orioles, but it was a positive picture from the standpoint of, hey, they have a chance to do something that they haven't done in a long time. Well, the Orioles said, no, we can't have all that, and they suspended Kevin Brown. And when you watch the clip, go to Awful Announcing, watch the clip. Why is he the only guy suspended? Because he threw to a graphic that was put up by the truck that described the follies of the Orioles against the Rays at Tropicana Field. Like they put the graphic up, he didn't just arbitra By the way, he didn't just a arbitrarily have that stat off the top of his head. B, he didn't create a graphic for it. See, they didn't just put up a, a graph two seconds before he threw to it. So why is he being isolated and suspended for basically just saying, hey, they've not played well at Tropicana Field, and they now have a chance because they've split the first two games. They have a chance now to win a series, which they haven't done since 2017. How is that harming the organization? And by the way, everybody has come to their defense, uh, the uh, the broadcaster. Um, Gary Cohen, uh, Michael Kay, everybody has lambasted the Orioles organization. Again, you can't be this soft. By the way, when you raise expectations, these things happen. and And all of a sudden now, eyeballs get put on you. And you know why it's it's kind of crazy? Because the Orioles have stunk for so long. And now they're able to have a chance to do something that they haven't done since 2017. That's a positive story. Because the Orioles have been the laughing stock of Major League Baseball here of late. Right? Like how many how many losing seasons have the Orioles had in a row now? And in the last couple of years, they've turned the corner on the organization. And they're talking about how it's been bad at Tropicana Field, where that's a stat that was put up by the production truck that I promise you was funneled to the play-by-play guy by some statistician or what have you. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's a produced segment show or whatever. So he's not the one that sat and did all the information like, to your point it's it's a producer there's a producer behind all of but, but that again you think that with all due respect I'm not saying I, I I know anything look I know Kevin Brown from Georgia Tech and the Texas Rangers but I don't know this Kevin Brown you really think that you really think that he even knew what that stat was seriously right. no like you right. think you think he even knew what that stat was somebody funneled that to him somebody told him before the game started somebody told him about what was going on. And the producers put together the graphics and everything along with it. But he's the guy being isolated in all this. And they took him off the broadcast. It's ridiculous. And and, I, and here's the thing. When everybody, including Michael Kay and Gary Cohen and people like that, when they're all on the side of somebody, you know you screwed up. You know, as the Orioles, you messed up. I'll, I'll predict he'll be back in the booth tomorrow night or whatever night they play. I don't know if they play tomorrow night or not, but he'll be back in the booth tomorrow night. Yeah. Because this won't last long. And, and they'll, I don't know what, I don't know. I promise you that they're already writing the PR spin of this fiasco because that's what it is, a fiasco. Because now it's on national media. Now everybody is commenting on it. Everybody that's in the world of baseball and sports is commenting on this very subject. And so they're going to have egg on their face. I don't know what the answer is going to be, but if they're smart, get him back in the booth as quickly as possible. And you know what you need to do? Here's if you're the Orioles. We screwed up. We overreacted. Just say that. Just say we screwed up. We overreacted and move on. But if they try to come up with some kind of PR spin as to painting them in a bad light, if they come up with any of that nonsense, guess what? They're going to do more harm than good to their organization because it's already ridiculous that this guy has been suspended when all he did was read a graphic and read what was told to him Statistically, about this matchup of the Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays. If that's where we're at, if that's if ownership is that sensitive, they need new ownership when all is said and done. All right. When we get back, we'll uh, get into some of this college football news or the college football roundup. Chuckery hanging out in the key Studios, sports radio 92.9 on the game. Odyssey.com app. <laughs>